Welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. There, I think, I think uh, there it is. All right. Good morning. Welcome to Broadway Baptist Church. It is great to see everyone here this morning. Uh, it's been a fantastic weekend with our students uh, and our D-NOW uh, weekend. Uh, I'll have some remarks at the end, but uh, at this time I would like to, to call us to worship as usual. So uh, if everyone would please stand as we read from the Word of God. And I'll be reading from Psalm 14. This is a psalm, it really ties in, it's like the opposite uh, of, of, sort of sort of this weekend and, and tying in, because this weekend we talked all about wisdom and what it means to have wisdom from God. And uh, Psalm 14, it gives us a look into um, to those who are not wise. Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. I was buried beneath my shame. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing, but not alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb till I met you. Church, sing this out when you call my name. When you call my name. I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. When you called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. 
Now your mercy has saved my soul And now your freedom is all that I know You me Jesus, when I met you Let's rejoice in that church When you call my name I ran out of that grave Out of the darkness Into your glorious day Think about these words, church. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. But chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me. Your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future, my eyes are open. For when you call my name, I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. so much just for allowing us to gather as your church to sing songs of worship and adoration to you for you are the king sitting on the throne we love you Lord we confess that our hearts are not always pursuing you Lord but you are worthy of every moment of every day of our lives from now through all eternity and so we take a brief moment, moment gathered together as your church, as your body that you drew together, that you put together. Scripture says that by your spirit, you've brought us together. And so we come together with the purpose, the sole purpose of lifting your name up and encouraging one another 
just by reminding one another of the gospel and of how good our God truly is. And so I pray this morning as we sing songs to you, as we sing songs about you, as we hear the gospel preached, that you would just open up our hearts, that you would just open up our eyes and our ears and let us see Jesus as the beautiful treasure that he truly is. That there is no one as good as Jesus. That you can take every moment of every day that we would call good. Beautiful sunsets and the birth of babies and all the beautiful things that you have given us. And we put all of those together. And it would never even remotely come close to the beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ. Help us to remember that this morning. Let that fuel our hearts in worship. And as we pour ourselves into the word this morning, we love you. Lead us, Lord. Direct our eyes to see you as beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we hope this song is familiar to you. Words are going to be up here on the screen. Let's just pour our hearts out just in worship to Jesus. Oh, my. 
read a, a passage from Philippians this morning real quick, uh, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so therefore, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Compares to this, what a wonderful day. 
again just for bringing us all in here today together to worship you I pray that that is our heart to see you high and lifted up in our lives and in this world and this community and in this church and if that's not Lord then I pray that you would break us today turn our eyes to look and see 
You overcame the grave. Death could not hold you, Jesus. You rose again. And you ascended into heaven where you are seated at the right hand of the throne on high. A place of power, of ultimate power. You tell us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. And that should make our hearts just scream out in worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you didn't leave us alone. You sent your spirit to indwell the life of every believer, to, to make us less like the world every single day and more like you every single day, knowing that a day is coming where we won't have to look from afar to see you, Lord, but we will look and we will behold the risen King forever and ever and ever. And in that light, everything else should grow strangely dim. There is nothing that shines so bright as the glory of the sun on high that the train of your robe fills the entire temple. Be with us this morning, Lord. We know you are. You're living in our hearts. Your spirit is making us like Jesus, preparing us to be a dwelling place for you forever. And we thank you and we praise you for that, Lord. We love you. Open our hearts now to the word, to the reading of your word, to the teaching of the gospel. If we do not know you, Lord, then let today be the last day that said of us that we don't know you. That when we walk out of these doors and go home, that we go with the light of Jesus living with in us, the spirit of the living God, sanctifying us, making us more like you. We love you, Lord. Be honored in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you, David and Amber and the band. We're very grateful for them to be here this morning to lead us uh, in songs of praise. And uh, so we're certainly thankful for them. And this uh, morning at this time, I would like to uh, introduce Josh McClellan to you. If you've been here the last uh, three years, now four years, this is his fourth year uh, to be back preaching. It's honestly a great excuse for me to have someone really close in my life come see me. Uh, and so that's a, a great uh, we always enjoy the time, but more than anything, I, I really appreciate uh, his desire to make the Word of God clear uh, to students and to the church. So uh, we're blessed to have Josh. Josh is a pastor uh, at a, a church plant in Oklahoma City, and uh, we've, we go back a long way. Some of you, you know, like I've heard the story, I've heard the story, but uh, uh, we're very glad and blessed to have him here this morning. So at this time, I'd like to introduce Josh McClellan as he... Uh, preaches the word to us this morning. Josh. Well, good morning, church. Well, I kind of, there we go. We have sound. While I kind of get set up here briefly, I want to just personally send a shout out to our cooks, our uh, host homes, and many of the parents that have just gone the extra mile and served 
your church and your students this week. Um, it's blessed me. I know it's blessed your students. And so anyways, uh, anyways, for all of you that were a part of that, thank you from me uh, for the hard work and for just the heart of service that you have toward your church and toward your students this weekend. We've been examining the book of Proverbs, and I mentioned to them last night that this weekend is really kind of like the trailer to the movie. There's so much that you could talk about, and we have four sessions to be able to examine some things related to Proverbs and wisdom. We'll see if that helps the uh, feedback. Are we better? Okay, hopefully we're good to go. And, and so my hope is that this weekend just sort of causes them to want to see the movie, so to speak. We've seen the trailers, so hopefully maybe they'll want to study further because there's just so much to plumb. I mean, of course, this is true for all of Scripture, uh, that there is so much depth to plumb, so much to be said, and so much to be heard from us uh, from a book like Proverbs that, uh, that this will just whet the appetite and help them to see there is much here that God would want to speak to us in a book like this. We've kind of approached it from the perspective that wisdom, in terms of trying to offer a working definition of what wisdom is, that that would be that it is to be able to be good at life. And that may sound very generic, but uh, really at its heart, we're just good at life. We know how to live life properly. We know how to live life well. And of course, there's probably lots of different opinions about what it is to live life well, what it is to be good at life. The question is, are we concerned about what God says is important when it comes to being good at life? That's what Proverbs lays out for us. The fear of the Lord, taking God seriously in what he says, is the road to what? Living life well. Being good at this life, which is kind of what wisdom is. And so we've examined several things related to just what the wisdom of Proverbs has to offer us in terms of how we are able to be good at life um, in accordance with God's way and with God's word. And this morning, I want us to talk about another topic that kind of falls in line with how God tells us to live and how God tells us to live well, how we, how we can be good at this life. And, uh, you know, before we delve into what that topic is, I want to just say briefly that, you know, we, uh, I think we all have a tendency to do this, maybe individually, collectively, as a church, or even just as a church culture, maybe the kind of country that we live in and the kind of heritage that we come from, and we sort of have the sins that are sort of the ones that are sort of on our minds. Those are the things that we don't do. You've probably heard the old saying, like, don't smoke, drink, or chew, and don't date girls that do. You know, that kind of spirituality, that that's the things that are really serious and we need to guard ourselves against. But what about all the things that maybe aren't on our radar screen, things that we ignore, Things the Bible would talk about that maybe just don't seem all that big a deal to us. There's a lot of those in Scripture. We've talked about some of those this weekend. We're going to talk about another one this morning. I don't know about you. I can say if I'm being transparent, this is a sin that many times in my life, quite frankly, I haven't really cared about. or cared about where I am with this. I haven't had perspective to look and examine my own heart and say, is this where I am or not? It's the sin of greed. It's the sin of greed. Quite frankly, how much do some of us take the time to really examine our heart and say, is this a problem in my life? Are we even aware that it's serious? Are we concerned that it might be in our hearts? 
How many sins in Scripture are kind of like that? When you look in Proverbs chapter 6, it tells us about seven things that God hates. Seven things. Four of those things are things that come out of our mouths. Speech. More than half of the things that it says God hates in that list are things related to the speech that comes out of our mouth. How much do we think in a given day, in a given week, in a given month, in a given year of our lives about the words that are coming out of our mouths and whether or not it is sin or not? Same could be true with something like greed. Jesus tells us himself that it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Even Jesus himself warns us that money and wealth can be a great snare, can keep people from the kingdom of heaven. Does that concern us, that that might be in our heart? And so that's what we'll examine from Proverbs this morning is this topic of greed. Now, before we break down a few passages of scripture related to this topic, let me just say a few words as far as a definition of what greed is and what greed isn't. Greed is not necessarily being frugal or thoughtful with the way that you use your money, being a good steward. Sometimes the idea that we want to hold on to it and hoard it might reflect an attitude of greediness in our heart. Sometimes it might just reflect an attitude that we want to be thoughtful and good stewards of what we have. So greed is not necessarily just frugality. It's also not just necessarily financial prosperity. Again, greed is probably more about the condition of our heart toward money and things and wealth than it is how much we actually have. You may not have a lot, but it may have a hold on your heart. It's what you want in life. It's where you seek contentment in life, whereas you may have a lot, but it doesn't have a hold on your life. I would offer two definitions or two things that I think are important when it comes to whether or not our hearts maybe have greed at work in them. And one is, is wealth a necessary thing for us? A necessary thing. Do we have to have it? Or could we live without it, even if we do have it? I remember in my own life, just to speak a word of honesty and transparency before you, I remember about 15 years ago, I had been doing ministry, I'd been living in Arizona, and we were moving back to Oklahoma at that time, and we had a home that had appreciated value a great deal. We were going to make a great deal of profit off of the sale of our home, so much so that it would pretty dramatically affect our future and our finances. And of course, at that time on the West Coast, there was a massive amount of investment money coming from California into the Phoenix marketplace when it came to real estate. And so prices were being driven up very quickly. And we were kind of in the middle of that. And right as we were leaving, as we were about to sell our home, was sort of the crest of all of that starting to crash down when we had that collapse. And so while we were looking at making six figures off a home that we had lived in for two years, Five years later, that home sold for half of what we paid for it. We were the poster child for the whole collapse. We didn't take out a bad loan. We, most of what happened was people would, were taking out bad loans with ridiculous interest rates after certain arms and, um, and after a few years because they really just intended to flip it and, uh, and make money off of it. And, of course, everything sort of collapsed and everyone defaulted on a bunch of loans. And we were caught in the midst of that. And I remember through those first few years of that process, it just took everything 
took everything out of our savings, everything. I mean, it was just like putting money into a black hole at that point. And I remember just really, to be honest with you, being angry. I just remember being angry. I wasn't sure who to be angry at. If I'm being honest, I was probably a little bit angry at God. And it was probably six months to a year of, I was just not ready to let it go. And eventually, I think the Lord in his graciousness to me brought me to a place of saying, listen, it wouldn't have been a bad thing if you had made all the money off of that house that you thought you were going to make, that you had set yourself up well financially at that point as you continued through life. But you don't have to have that in life, Josh, to be faithful to me and to be happy and to be content. And eventually I found my peace with God over something like that. In the midst of that, I realized that, listen, greed, (laughs) a desire for that money, for that wealth, it sunk into my heart. And without it, I wasn't going to be happy. One of the things that marks whether or not there's greed at work in our heart is, is wealth a necessary thing for us? Do we have to have it? Greed isn't necessarily financial prosperity. We know that Scripture lays out that oftentimes living wisely, making good choices and decisions, leads to prosperity, even financial and material prosperity on some level. But but is it a necessary thing for us? The second thing that I think is really important when it comes to greed is and I think I've kind of alluded to it already in just the story that I told is, um, is this sort of underlying attitude of discontentment with whatever we have. That's really what greed is. Whatever I have is not enough. I need more. You can apply that principle beyond something like money, beyond something like things. You can apply that in a lot of ways just to whatever. But behind it is this attitude just that I am not happy enough with whatever I have, a discontentment with whatever I have. That also communicates that I'm not happy enough just with God and with whatever he has given me in this moment. It's not good enough. I need more. So I think those are two critical components to really helping us identify maybe whether greed is at work in our heart or not. One, is wealth are things a necessary thing for you in your life? Can you live without it? If it was gone tomorrow, and it could be. Wealth is such a transient thing. It can come and go so easily. In Oklahoma, we have lots of tornadoes. You can build your life paying for a beautiful home and all kinds of other things, and a tornado can come through in an evening, and boom, it can all be gone just like that. Your business can be thriving, and who knows, something could happen, and boom, just like that, it collapses. It's transient. Gosh, wealth can come and go so easily. But is it a necessary thing for us? And number two, can we be content simply with what we have in the moment that we find ourselves? Proverbs has a lot to say about greed. It's a pretty serious sin. It's something we should be concerned about. It's a snare that should scare us, quite frankly, (laughs) more than it does. When we think about the testimony of Scripture, the words of Jesus, the words of Solomon in Proverbs about greed. 
Turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 24. Point number one this morning is this. It sounds contradictory, but this is simply what Proverbs tells us. And we'll try to explain and sort of lay it out and understand it properly this morning. But point number one is this. Greed makes you poor. Seems backwards, right? Greed makes you wealthy, right? Well, let's see what Solomon has to say. Let's see what Proverbs has to say. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So the one who gives is the one who has. The one who holds on to is the one who suffers want. There's others. Turn with me back to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 19. We're going to look at about four or five passages really quickly here in Proverbs. Proverbs 1.19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Again, you can be greedy and maybe not do people wrong, take advantage of people, but those two ideas seem to be pretty concentric circles for, for Solomon and Proverbs. There's a lot of attachment there. I think one of the reasons for that is that greed naturally causes us to kind of cut corners. Greed also naturally causes us to be more concerned about myself than someone else. And so when that's the case, we are more inclined probably to take advantage of other people or to do things in a way that, quite frankly, is unethical, (laughs) potentially, because our hearts want more. Look with me at chapter 13, verse 11. Chapter 13, verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Again, this idea of greed, this idea of I have to have more and I have to have it now. Here in this passage says what? The one who wants that, what happens? They don't increase their wealth, they decrease in what they have. Chapter 20, verse 21. Kind of the same kind of principle we just saw. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Chapter 28, verse 22. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Does not know that poverty will come upon him. Again, I think there's a tendency to think that greedy people tend to accumulate and take for themselves and increase in wealth. But the testimony of Proverbs is that ultimately, even when in the moment, in the immediate moment, in the present, it looks like they are profiting and it looks like they are prospering as a result of this greed and this desire for more that may be rooted down in their heart, In the end, what will it lead to? It will only lead to poverty. It will lead to less. I liken this to the concept of living open-handed. I think about that first verse we wrote, when it comes to those who live generously, they will have more. It's the idea of living open-handed. When your hand is open, God can put more in it. Now, it means living openly toward others. 
where it can go out of your hand as well. But when it can go out of your hand and your hand is open, God can put more in it. But if you live like this, trying to hold on to whatever you have, God can't put any more inside that fist, can he? And eventually it'll start to diminish. Learn to live open-handed. There, uh, there's an ancient work by a medieval theologian and author named Dante. He wrote a book called The Inferno. And it's basically a lengthy story of just the levels of hell. And one of the things that Dante deals with at one of the lower levels of hell is a sin. And what, what it is, it's sort of this journey through the levels of hell and sort of a picture not only of, I think, judgment and eternal judgment, but a picture of just sin. What's serious, what's not, those kinds of things. And at one of those lower levels, they're passing through and the sin of what's called usury comes up. U-S-U-R-Y. If you don't know what that is, that's okay. I didn't know what it was the first time I heard it. I had to look it up. Usury is this sin. Usury is the sin of stealing from the work of someone else's hands and profiting from it. Now, why would that be such a big deal? Well, I think we are very detached from what life would have been like in the ancient world. We live in the day and age where an industrialized day where we can mass produce products and we have machines that do all of that and everything's exactly the same. But the ancient world wasn't like that. Most everything was made by hand. And so if you were a cobbler who made shoes or you were a tailor who made clothes or you were someone who produced uh, the vessels that were needed to eat, uh, you know, in terms of plates and silverware and even the vessels that were needed for things that were more dishonorable, so to speak, like the things we need to go to the bathroom, the things we need to take out the trash and whatnot. Those were all custom made and was the work of someone's hands. And if you had a great skill with that, then you could profit a great deal in your life from your ability to produce those products in a really unique and customized way. In the ancient world, to steal from the work of someone else's hand, it's the idea basically kind of like copyright, to steal from the work of someone else's hand was a really, really, really serious offense. And so the sin of usury was really, really low down there when it came to the levels of hell. Now listen, just because I refer to that doesn't mean I agree with everything Dante said in that book. But it's fascinating that the sin of usury was such a big deal to people back then. It was such a serious sin to take the work of someone else's hands, claim it as your own, and profit from it. Why would someone do that? Maybe they're lazy. Maybe they're greedy. Nevertheless, that would be a good example of unjust gain. Picture of people who, they don't care, but they just want to make money. They want wealth. Their hearts are filled with greed, and so they take advantage of others in order for their own gain. Greed makes you poor. That's the testimony of Solomon, testimony of Proverbs. That while we think greed will actually lead to more, the end result of the greedy heart is what? The end result of the greedy heart is less, not more. Here's point number two. Greed makes you unfriendly. Turn with me to Proverbs eleven twenty six. 
Not only does greed make you poor, greed makes you unfriendly. Proverbs eleven twenty six. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. So we have someone who has accumulated great wealth. They have grain. They have much that could help other people, but they withhold it because they want to hold on to it for themselves. The people curse that person. Turn with me now to chapter 28, verse 25. 28, verse 25. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. A greedy man stirs up strife. (laughs) He creates conflict, tension, problems. It's a divisiveness in his heart. Greed makes you unfriendly. Is there anyone more unfriendly than Ebenezer Scrooge? You with me? I mean, even his own family simply tolerates him. The guy is miserly, greedy, and quite frankly, miserable to be around. Am I right or am I right? If you know the story. I think everyone probably knows the story. Scrooge is a great illustration of how greed makes you not a fun person to be around, really unfriendly. You're cursed by others. You withhold. You don't care about others more than yourself. You care primarily about yourself. You stir up strife. You're not concerned about others at all. Point number three, greed damages your family. Turn with me to Proverbs 15, 27. Proverbs 15, 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. Troubles his own household. Brings problems on his own household. If you look at the very next statement, it says, but he who hates bribes will live. There's sort of this implied message there that maybe this person has done something illegal, something that has not only brought shame on the house, but also that could potentially cause them to lose what they have. And so in that way, it's created trouble. But I also think it's appropriate for us to look at this more broadly than that. Greed damages families. It creates marriages that are neglected. It creates children that are neglected and ignored for the sake of accomplishing what we want to accomplish by gaining more material things or wealth in our life. You guys have seen the stories, right? The wealthy billionaires who die from cancer on their deathbed with no one around them because they neglected their family. They ignored their spouse. They forgot about their kids while they were accumulating the things they wanted to accumulate. While their ambition drove them to seek more and more and more. While they were never satisfied with whatever they had. Even if it might have been much. Greed damages your family. I remember when I was in ninth grade reading a book called The Pearl by an author named John Steinbeck. It's a small book, kind of a classic work of literature. And the story is of a poor island man. He 
He's married. He has a young child, an infant child, who's a deep sea fisherman. And this one day he goes out to the sea and he manages to come upon an oyster and he opens up that oyster and he finds the largest pearl that he's ever seen. And immediately in his mind, he thinks to himself, finally, we've hit the, we've hit the jackpot. So, of course, he takes this pearl and his mind is, you know, the delusions of, of grandeur and, and all the wealth that he's going to have now and all the ways that his family's not going to be poor and they're not going to live in a thatched hut and they're going to have all of these things. All those thoughts are going through his mind. And what ensues in the book is this process by which a bunch of greedy uh, uh, men who want to purchase the pearl try to swindle him out of its real value. They come after his family ends up coming between him and his wife, (laughs) ends up damaging his marriage. And at the end of the story, you know what he does? After all of the mess that this pearl has created, he goes back out to the sea and he throws it to get rid of it. It's a powerful message. Here he was, he thought he had fixed all of his problems in life with this really, really valuable pearl that was going to finally get him the money that he needed to be happy in life. And what did it do? It destroyed his life. It almost broke his marriage. And it ruined him to the point that he said, I was better off if this had never come to me. Greed can damage your family. Has your family been hurt? Has your marriage been hurt? Have your kids been neglected because you've been too busy trying to accumulate more in this life? Again, don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean don't work hard. In fact, Proverbs has far more to say about laziness than it does something like drunkenness. Laziness is not good either. I believe God is honored when we work hard and we benefit from the hard work of our hands. God's honored by that. Question is, can we be happy without it? Or is that what drives us to contentment in life? Because we're discontent with whatever we have in that moment. Greed is a sin that we should be concerned about. At least according to Scripture. At least according to Solomon in Proverbs. Our heart should be first and foremost content in God. And while things aren't necessarily evil in and of themselves, they are a seductive snare such that Jesus himself even warns us that money and wealth and riches is really dangerous. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? How do we fight greed? I want to bring up two things. Number one, we fight greed simply with the gospel. We fight greed with the gospel. How so, Josh? Here's how. Because the gospel at its heart is the message of what God has given to us. Jesus is righteous He has earned that righteousness. He deserves to be 
glorified and honored as the one who is truly good, truly righteous. And you know what he does with that righteousness? He does not hold on to it for himself, but he pours it out abundantly on people who have squandered their own. I hope in your heart there was an amen right there. It is the story of what God gives. The gospel is the story not of what's earned, but what is given. God is a gracious, giving God. A generous God. Who pours out abundantly what he has for us. The gospel is the story of God's generosity toward us. It's a beautiful picture of that generosity. This is why thankfulness is such an important thing in the Christian life. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's worth saying real quick here at the end. You know, I'm amazed. I've come across some passages, for instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, a passage very much about a generous people. Paul is addressing a church that has been generous beyond what seemed like their means. And Paul is commending them. He's heralding to everyone else who reads this just the incredible example of this church. And in that, he says that ultimately your generosity will produce thankfulness. And what you see, not only in that passage, but in a number of others, that the thankfulness almost becomes this end for which we are working as Christians. This end for which we're working. Like, we are growing in Christ. Why? So that we might be thankful. We give why? So that we might be thankful. Thankfulness becomes sort of this end for which we are working as Christians. Sort of the finish line. This should be evident in our lives. Why is thankfulness, thanksgiving, so important? Because, again, the gospel is the message of what? What is given, not earned. And when something is given to you, that should produce gratitude. It should produce thankfulness. So as you grow in the, in the gospel, what should also grow in you? Thankfulness. You want to sign whether someone's really spiritual, whether someone's really mature in their faith? Look at how thankful a person they are. Look at whether or not this is a person that gives thanks to God. Whether they simply reflect on what they don't have or we see gratitude and thankfulness in their heart with what they do. That's the person that's life has really been impacted by the gospel. Because the gospel is a story of what's given, not earned. Because God is a generous God. He's not a greedy God. So we fight greed by remembering the gospel. We fight greed by remembering who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Second, we fight it with generosity. Look with me in chapter 14, verse 31. Proverbs 14, verse 31. Whoever opposes, or excuse me, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. It commends giving. Look with me in Proverbs 22, verse 9. 22, verse 9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. We've already looked at other verses that talked about the blessing of those who give, the curse 
from others. It's on those who withhold. God calls us to be people who are generous. So how do we fight greed? How do we fight holding on? How do we fight accumulating more? By living open-handed and giving. If you find that that's a struggle in your own heart, learn to cultivate giving. (laughs) If it's a snare in you and you start to see it, how do you work against that? How do you fight against that? How do you combat it? Be generous. Find someone or something that you can give to. Bless someone else with what you have. That's how you fight it. Proverbs is rich with things to say about, quite frankly, if we're being really honest, a lot of things that we don't think about as much as we should, right? And listen, man, that can be all kinds of things. And of course, this is sort of a symbolic picture of the way that all of Scripture functions in that way. I remember some years ago reading in the book of James. This was probably in my early 30s. And I was, as I was studying James, what I found was there were some things that James was laying out that were of significant importance to God. And what I remember realizing in my own heart as I was reading that, and I wept over it, was that those things had never been important to me. They were important to God. But they hadn't been important to me. They weren't on my radar screen. But that didn't mean I was off the hook for them, right? That didn't mean I was off the hook for them. And of course, I had to repent of some of that in my own life. And I had to say, God, it may not have been important to me, but I know it's important to you, and it's time for it to be important to me. And so Proverbs reminds us, as Scripture reminds us, of the things that are important to God and of the things we need to guard ourselves against. And the sin that might be present in our heart that we may not even realize is there. But maybe God wants to do a work in our hearts and our lives to draw us closer to him. To mature us in new ways. As we examine scripture, as we identify those areas, and as we seek to walk in repentance. So that we can what? So that we can be wise. So that we can be good at life. You want to be good at life according to God? You know you're good at life? Don't be greedy. Be generous. Because when it's all said and done and God evaluates you, will you have been well at life? Would you have lived with excellence the way that you were designed as a human being to live or not? Jesus is such a striking image for us of this, is it not? Jesus, because quite frankly, if you want an example of someone who lived well, if you want an example of someone who got life right, who was good at living out human existence the way that it was designed to be lived, you know who did it better than anyone else? He did it. And when you look at Jesus' life, and you look at the lack of material possessions and things that Jesus possessed in this life it's super convicting the king of heaven and earth the creator of a billion stars of galaxies the one who appoints kings the one who even grants wealth to all of those that he has created himself comes to the earth 
and has not even a place to lay his own head. Jesus knew how to live. Jesus knew what to live for. And Jesus is certainly an example of someone who didn't live for things. Jesus is someone who lived how? Jesus lived generously. Jesus showed no regard for the things of this life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the instruction of your word. God, your word is clear, it is direct, it is beneficial to us. So often it's just a matter of whether we take the time to know what you say and care about it or not. God, I thank you for Broadway Baptist Church. I thank you for their presence in the city of Lexington, in the state of Kentucky, in this country. God, I thank you for the ways that you have raised up people who love you. I thank you for the ways that you're continuing to accomplish the good work of your kingdom in this place and through these people. God, I pray that you would continue to do that. I pray, God, as they continue to direct their paths to live and to be the people that you called them to be, that you would bless their work and that they would accomplish much to advance your kingdom. God, I pray as one who is for them this morning, God, and I pray even as we have examined what you have to say to us this morning in this place, I pray, God, that these would be things that would simply propel them forward. God, to be more useful to you, more consecrated to your work, and more fruitful in their life and their ministry. God, I pray today as one who is for them, as you are for them. And so, God, continue to work because you care about them to make them more mature and more excellent in the faith that you have begun in them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go ahead and stand with me if you would. We're going to enter into a time of invitation, um, and I'm going to hand things over to Zach. As the band plays, uh, if you need to respond, the altar is open, and uh, if, you, if you need to come and repent, and tell someone, you can repent where you are in your own seat. Nothing says you have to walk the aisle, but uh, part of repentance is, is making that public and letting others know. So uh, this is our time to respond. And uh, for students, for adults, this weekend, yes, it's student weekend, but we've heard from God. The word from God is for everyone. Uh, so let us come to him and respond.
Yeah. 